Well, hello, and welcome to They Did What Now, where we talk about how individuals ended up on death row. There are 27 states that have the death penalty, as well as the U.S. government and military. As of October 1st, 2020, there are 2,553 inmates on death row. As of 1976, there's 1,553 individuals that have been executed. And as of 1973, there have been 183 exonerations. Today, we'll be talking about Kenneth Eugene Barrett. On January 28, 1999, the District Court of Sequoia County, Oklahoma, issued a warrant for Kenneth Barrett's arrest on charges of unlawful delivery of a controlled drug and failure to appear for jury trial. Barrett managed to avoid arrest during the ensuing months, but state law enforcement officials were aware of his presence and continued to investigate his activities. In September of 1999, the supervising agent and field supervisor for the District 27 Drug Task Force received information from a confidential informant, or CI, that Barrett was manufacturing and distributing methamphetamine at his residence. Using the information provided by the CI, the supervising agent prepared an affidavit for a search warrant. On September 20, 1999, the District Court of Sequoia County issued the requested search warrant for Barrett's residence. The warrant authorized law enforcement officers to conduct a search at any time of day and or night and to enter Barrett's residence without the normally required knocking and announcing due to the violent and unstable nature of Barrett and the danger posed to law enforcement personnel by Barrett and or other unknown person who may be present. In other words, they received a no-knock warrant. The items to be seized included methamphetamine or other controlled dangerous substances, paraphernalia, drug manufacturing equipment, and supplies and written records and documents pertaining to drug manufacturing and distribution. The supervising agent considered the search warrant to be high risk in nature. He was aware that Barrett routinely carried firearms and had threatened to kill law enforcement officers if they showed up at his residence. He was also aware that Barrett's residence was accessible only by a dead-end road, that several of Barrett's relatives lived in residences nearby, and that there was little cover around the residence from which the search team could perform surveillance. The supervising agent contacts the Oklahoma Highway Patrol's tactical team for assistance in serving the warrant. The TAC team was highly trained and specialized in serving high-risk search warrants. The supervising agent and another task force leader met with the TAC team members to discuss the execution of the warrant. It was determined that the TAC team would enter and secure the area first and that the task force would then perform the actual warrant of Barrett's residence. The TAC team met during the daylight hours of September 23, 1999 and developed a plan for entering and securing Barrett's residence. Three members of the TAC team drove by Barrett's residence in an unmarked Ford Bronco during the early evening hours. Travis Crawford, Barrett's cousin, was in the vicinity at the time of the drive-by and observed Barrett walk to the area of the front gate after the Bronco drove by his residence. Travis spoke to Barrett and Barrett indicated he had seen the Bronco and knew it belonged to law enforcement officers. When Travis told Barrett that the law enforcement officers would likely return to serve the warrant, Barrett responded by saying DGF, 
which according to Travis meant don't give a fuck. Further, Barrett told Travis that he was going out in a blaze of glory. Using the information they observed during the drive-by, it was decided that they would execute the warrant during the night with the hope that Barrett and any other occupants of the residence would be asleep. Because the front gate of Barrett's property was locked, three of the TAC team vehicles, two Ford Broncos, and one marked Highway Patrol unit would enter Barrett's property by first driving north on a private driveway that lights to the east of Barrett's property and then driving west across the land and through a ditch onto Barrett's property. The occupants of the three vehicles would be six TAC team members in total. They would then get out of their vehicle, walk on foot to the house, and enter through the front door. The TAC team decided that a fourth unit, a marked highway patrol car, would stop at the locked front gate of the property and that one of the occupants of that vehicle would remain in that position to provide cover for the other team members, while the second and third occupants of that vehicle would climb over the gate, enter the property on foot, and watch the west side of Barrett's house to prevent him from escaping to his mother's residence, which was located adjacent to Barrett's house. Finally, the attack team decided that a fifth unit, a white Ford Bronco, would enter the driveway by Barrett's mother's house. At about 12.30 a.m. on the morning of September 24, 1999, the attack team met members of the task force at a highway intersection near Barrett's house. From there, the five TAC team vehicles headed toward Barrett's residence. As the lead TAC team vehicle, a white Ford Bronco, drove eastward on the gravel road that passed in front of Barrett's residence, the driver, Trooper Hamilton, observed a white male standing in the front yard of Barrett's residence. Trooper Hamilton continued to observe the man, who was later identified to be Barrett's son, Toby. Meanwhile, Troopers Highs and Darst, who arrived at the scene in the fourth tag team vehicle, climbed over the locked front gate, entered the yard in front of Barrett's house, and yelled at Toby Barrett to get on the ground. Toby initially failed to comply, but ultimately got on the ground. Trooper Darst then took custody of Toby and determined he was unharmed. While Toby was on the ground, being handcuffed, he turned his head toward the house and screamed, Dad! As Trooper Hamilton's vehicle exited the ditch and headed toward Barrett's house, it began to receive gunfire that hit the middle of the windshield at about head level of Trooper Hamilton and his passenger, Trooper Davis Eels. The gunfire intensified as Trooper Hamilton drove close to Barrett's residence and Trooper Hamilton was hit in the face with some object, either bullet fragments or flying glass from the windshield. As a result of the continuous gunfire, neither Trooper Hamilton or Eels were able to turn on the vehicle's emergency lights as the TAC team had originally planned for them to do. The second TAC team vehicle, a Ford Bronco occupied by Troopers Greninger and Mannion, was less than a car length behind and had its emergency lights on, including a flashing strobe light on the sun visor and wig wag highlights. The third TAC team vehicle, a marked highway patrol unit driven by Trooper Hash, also had its emergency lights on, including a full light bar on top and was less than a car length behind the second vehicle. The lights from the light bar were bright enough to light up the entire area of Barrett's residence. Trooper Hamilton's vehicle came to a stop where he fell between the front seats of his vehicle in an attempt to avoid the gunfire. 
Trooper Eels opened the front passenger door, got out of the vehicle, and began moving towards the rear of, of the vehicle. At some point before he arrived at the rear of the vehicle, Trooper Eels was struck by three gunshots. Meanwhile, Trooper Hamilton threw a diversionary device out of the driver's side window of his vehicle, causing a noticeable flash and loud bang. The flash and bang created a stoppage in gunfire, during which Trooper Hamilton got out of the driver's side of his vehicle. Trooper Hamilton moved towards the rear of his vehicle. As he did so, he was shot in the back of the left shoulder. When he reached the back of his vehicle, he observed Trooper Eels face down on the ground with Trooper Mannion attempting to assist him. From the rear of the vehicle, both Trooper Hamilton and Mannion were able to observe a man, later identified as Barrett, standing in the interior doorway of the residence holding a rifle. Trooper Mannion moved from the rear of Trooper Hamilton's vehicle to the east side of Barrett's house. From a position behind a parked truck, Trooper Mannion fired two short bursts of gunfire through the east window of Barrett's home. Some of the shots fired by Trooper Mannion struck Barrett in the lower body. Trooper Hamilton observed Barrett fall face down through the front door and drop his rifle. Trooper Hamilton approached and entered the house, told Barrett to get up, and Barrett responded that he could not because he had been shot. With the assistance of Troopers Mannion and Hash, Trooper Hamilton dragged Barrett out of the house and into the front yard. As the three troopers dragged him out, Trooper Danny Oliver yelled at him that Barrett had a pistol tucked in the front of his waistband. Trooper Mannion pulled Barrett's arms out from under him, handcuffed him, and performed a quick pat-down. During the pat-down, Trooper Mannion found the pistol that Barrett had tucked into the right side of his waistband. The three troopers re-entered the house and confirmed there were no other persons inside. Tag team members transported Trooper Eels to a local hospital after unsuccessfully attempting to provide first aid to him. Trooper Eels was pronounced dead at the local hospital. An autopsy indicated that Trooper Eels suffered gunshot wounds to his chest, left flank, and right arm, all of which appeared to have occurred while Trooper Eels was facing away from Barrett. The gunshot wound to the chest entered the left side of his upper back, broke four of his ribs, perforated the left upper lung lobe, and ultimately struck his aorta, causing a one-fourth inch hole. The injury to Trooper Eel's aorta was determined to be irreparable and the cause of his death. An investigation of the crime scene by law enforcement officers determined that Barrett fired about 19 shots at law enforcement officers using a Colt Sporter 223 rifle. The rifle had a lethal range of about 541 to 595 yards. It was equipped with three magazines that Barrett taped together, giving him a total of 91 rounds available for use at the time of the shooting began. A search of Barrett's property produced a variety of firearms. It included a fully loaded 12-gauge shotgun and a fully loaded 22 caliber pistol. The search also resulted in the seizure of a variety of materials related to the production and use of methamphetamine, such as coffee filters, hypodermic needles, digital scales, pseudoephedrine, iodine, and plastic tubing. A search of Barrett's person produced a plastic baggie containing red phosphorus, a lighter, and about $2,100 in cash. In the fall of 2002, Barrett was on trial at the state court in the District Court of Sequoia County. 
The jury trial ended in a hung jury on October 18, 2002. Barrett was retried in January and February of 2004. The jury rejected the first-degree murder charge and found Barrett guilty of the lesser-included crime of first-degree manslaughter. The jury also rejected the shooting with intent to kill and instead found him guilty of the lesser-included offense of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. The jury acquitted Barrett on the two charges of discharge of a firearm with the intent to kill. On April 19, 2004, Barrett was sentenced to a term of imprisonment of 20 years on the manslaughter conviction and 10 years on the assault and battery conviction, with the two terms to run consecutively. Barrett did not appeal his convictions and sentences. On September 23, 2004, a criminal complaint was filed against Barrett in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Oklahoma. On November 9, 2004, a federal grand jury returned a three-count indictment against Barrett. On February 15, 2005, the government filed notice of its intent to seek the death penalty with respect to all three counts with which Barrett was charged. On September 26, 2005, the case proceeded to trial. On November 4, 2005, the jury found Barrett guilty of all three counts. On November 17, 2005, the jury found that the sentences of life imprisonment without the possibility of release should be imposed on counts 1 and 2, and a sentence of death should be imposed on count 3. On December 19, 2005, the district court imposed the sentences recommended by the jury, and judgment was entered in the case on December 29, 2005. The United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit affirmed his convictions and death sentence on July 25, 2007. The United States Supreme Court denied his petition for writ of certiorari on March 17, 2008. Where is Kenneth Eugene Barrett today? On January 19, 2021, the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit reversed and remanded Barrett's death sentence, finding Barrett had deficient legal representation during his trial and suffered prejudice as a result. Kenneth Barrett is currently at the United States Penitentiary Terre Haute in Indiana as he will await a new sentencing phase as to count three but still has two life sentences for counts one and two.